Welcome to episode 107 of I Thought I Knew How, a podcast about knitting and life and all sorts. I'm your host, Ann Frost, and this episode was recorded on July 18th, 2023. Today, I have another interview for you from one of the makers involved with issue three of the Journal of Scottish Yarns. This time, I have a weaver. Ange Sewell of Weftblown Studio sat down with me to talk about weaving, pin looms, and craft towns. She is a delightful person, and I'm looking forward to you meeting her in a moment. Let's get started. You may have noticed that this podcast was assembled for release a few weeks before it's airing. At the time this goes live, I will be in Edinburgh on my way home from a quick trip to Shetland for the Tall Ships event with my daughter. Based on previous experiences, I will say that I'm sure it was a lovely visit. Shetland will always be one of my happy places. As I record this, there are still 10 Shetland Hogmanay boxes available, seven of the spring-inspired boxes and three of the winter-inspired boxes. But this is being recorded two weeks before it's going to air, so I don't know at this point what is actually available. Go have a look and see how things are faring over at store.ithoughtiknewhow.com. Again, I'd encourage you, if you have the funds, to consider treating yourself with a mystery yarn box for December. They're a lot of fun. There are multiple varieties out there. Some are shorter duration and feature larger hanks. Some are Christmas-themed or Hanukkah-themed or Kwanzaa-themed or like the Shetland Hogmanay boxes, New Year's-themed. Find one that appeals to you and treat yourself to a bit of daily fun through December. It's a great way to support a small business or try out some yarns you may not be familiar with. All the details about the Shetland Hogmanay box are available at the store at ithoughtiknewhow.com. Okay, let's get to the interview. Ange Sewell is a weaver based in Scotland. Her shop, Weftblown, is one of the main suppliers for weavers in the UK, and she carries everything from yarn to looms to books, to tools, and not just for weavers, but for spinners and knitters and crocheters too. Ange has a pattern in issue three of the Journal of Scottish Yarns that uses a pin loom to create squares to make the lovely magnolia cowl. It's one of the projects I plan to make myself, and after testing out the pin loom to make the first square, I'm kind of hooked. You'll hear more about that in our chat, so let's get to that, and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, Ange, for sitting down with me today to talk about your crafting and your design for the Journal of Scottish Yarns. I'm very happy to meet you. It's nice to meet you too, and thanks for having me along. I always start by asking people how they got started knitting, because it's mostly a knitting podcast, but you're actually known for your weaving. And so I, I guess I would just ask, how did you get started how did you get started? Like how, how did your fiber craft journey begin? Funnily enough, through knitting. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it works out okay. Um, yeah, I started weaving, um, sorry, knitting um, when I was in my sort of 20s. Mm-hmm. And I've always been in a crafty family. My mum sews and embroiders and my grand sews and embroiders and knits as well. And my grand had tried to teach me knitting when I was a child, but I just couldn't pick it up. So I did a lot of cross-stitch and embroidery. And then when I sort of got into my 20s, I thought, well, why don't I just give it a go and see where I can go? So I self-taught through one of Debbie Bliss's books. And this was, would have been mid-2000s, 
um, sort of early 2000s. So just sitting there sort of like finding some stuff online to get going. Mm-hmm. And then I started knitting away. And then my grand got excited and gave me seven boxes of yarn. Oh. <laughs> she needed to move and she needed to get rid of them. So those boxes of yarn, I don't know why she was still holding on to this, because half of it was from 20 or 30 years ago from when we used to live in Lancashire. So I started to get scared of how on earth am I going to get through all of this yarn and knit it all up. And in a magazine, I read an article on Rigid Head of Looms. And I thought, oh, this sounds fun. You can get a scarf done on a day. And my attention span can be quite short and I do get annoyed with projects taking forever and it does get to me. So I thought, well, this sounds like a good way to get something made quickly and get going. So I got a secondhand Kromsky loom and started figuring out how enough that worked and how to get it set up. And by this point, I had a baby. can't remember how old he was. He was probably about one uh, and two dogs and a cat. So trying to warp up in the living room with the loom with all that was quite entertaining. Um, but I soon got the bug <laughs> and started making things and then started making more things and started buying more looms and started trying to sell it. And then it just sort of went off onto a path to where I am now. And where where you are now, you have a full-fledged weaving business at this point and are doing art weaving and all sorts of wonderful things. So I'd love to talk to you about how how that all developed. Um, you are known as, as Weftblown. And I know that your weaving ties into your meteorology background. Yeah, so it's... Um... It all starts back photography, really. We've always been keen photographers in my family. So we always had a camera about us. And I did um, in Scotland, either in sixth year, so your final year at school, you can do sort of more exams or you can do uh, another sort of vocational course. So I did photography and absolutely loved that. So I've always had a camera floating about. And then I went to study sort of geology and environmental science. And then that led on to doing meteorology. And then working for the Met Office, which is UK's weather forecasting, our um, government arm. And once you've been taught how the world is made and how rocks are formed and how the clouds are going about in the sky, you kind of can't stop (laughs) thinking about it. So I worked there for a couple of years and then bounced about a few other jobs and then decided that I wanted to try self-employment. So I started off with photography in that point, walking around um, Perthshire in central Scotland, also uh, just above central Scotland and taking photographs, going for walks with my dog and taking photographs of the forest and the, you know, the hills and everything and selling those prints on. That didn't quite work, but that was at a time when I started knitting. So I started knitting away and I wanted to do my own designs and those designs were influenced by the photography. So it kind of, you know, being inspired by different sunsets and the change of scenery and that then leads into what the cloth is. So I hadn't done any art in school apart from that one little photography course. So I went to do a two years HNC degree um, at HNC course in Bradford College, and it was a distance learning course. So you get taught the basics of design as well as the basics of weave at the same time. So that's where I learned how to design and do a sketchbook, which is the most terrifying thing <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's just like, I have no idea what the difference is. Acrylic paint and what, what, what is all this stuff? So, but I just learned to just play it at like a five year old and just mess about. And, but, you know, over time, I was able to get my ideas from the photographs I was still taking and then mess about with sketching and then get to the cloth that I wanted to make. So, from the end of that, just near the end of that course, 
um, in West Kilbride, a studio came up in Craft Town Scotland. And that was the point. So actually, why don't I try and see if I can sell my own stuff and teach classes and see where that goes? That started to sort of pick up slowly. Classes did well. Mm-hmm. And then from the back of teaching classes, like, well, why don't I try selling equipment? And then since then, it's not stopped. <laughs> it's just kind of kept on going to the point I'm only now just getting back into weaving again after having not been able to for about the past year or so because it just works being so busy. <laughs> As you're teaching classes for weaving, I mean, weaving obviously is, requires space, you know, for, for a lot of the different types because of the size of the looms. Were you teaching people rigid heddle where they could bring their own loom with them or did you have looms there that people could come in? And I, had, I, had, I had looms ready for people to come and use because... From a teaching standpoint, it's easier and being a slight control freak as well. It's like I could be in charge of what was there is fine. But if somebody had a loom, they were welcome to bring that along too. Uh-huh. Um, and it was um, Ash Resamplet looms we started on first. So it's basically just a 10 inch wide, small rigid head loom. Uh-huh. And in a day, I got the students to warp up the looms in the morning and then weave as much as they could in the afternoon. So depending on perfection level mainly, uh, how fast they would weave because the t- complete perfectionists wouldn't weave much because they were really trying to sort of get everything perfect but I would try and sort of break that down and go it just get into the flow and just weave away and it will come because you know when you started knitting your first knitting might not have been the best and it takes yeah. a while to figure out the tension now to get it going and weaving is the same as well with having to get used to the sort of how the how the yarns interact with each other in the cloth. Yeah, I've done one weaving class in my high school. We had a woman from the community who would come in and teach weaving for a semester. And yeah, my first sampler is a bit like this, uh, just wavy edged, you know. Um, But then we had to do another project as our final project. And I did a pillow that was just one long strip. And then you sew up three sides Uh to make it square. And yeah, it's the second time, second go round. You have better feel for it and had nice straight edges for that. But it's also yeah. good when you're making a cushion because you can hide those edges quite happily in the exactly. seams. Exactly. <laughs> no to know. As far as everyone knows, they were just perfectly square. Yeah. I do remember I did much better on them, though. I don't know. I actually still have my sampler hanging on the wall over there. It's like ridiculous. I still, everywhere we move, I bring it along. Like I wove something. Oh no, no, Uh, no. definitely something to be treasured. But I think it's also with weave, it's, it's a quite a quick thing for people to pick up because it is, it's, it's a gross motor skill. So it is just lifting the heddle up and down and putting the shuttle through. So it's, I mean, I've done a lot of demonstrations at sort of various places as well. And it's, you know, from kids from like a few years old to people, you know, who might have mobility issues and stuff, they can all bash it in. In fact, the ones with sort of like, you wouldn't think would bash that the clothing quite hard, really do give it a good go. <laughs> Get some frustration out. My my memory is that the, um, as you were saying, like warping the loom is what really took days and days for, for the looms that we had, we had wider student looms that we were working on. Um, and yeah, then once you got going, it was fun to see the progress. Yeah. And and I think it's also, for me, when I'm a teach, because um, on the sort of more complex multi-shaft looms, the table looms and floor looms, that would be a three-day workshop you used to do for day one. It was just warping right, and getting it set up. And then the other two days would be weave. But it's I, I did it that way because warping is weaving. 
you can't leave without having done that point. So mm-hmm. it's you need to know those basics to be able to get going. I had taught once or twice where I hadn't done the warping part and people go off going, yeah, I want to do this again. It's like, I've not touched it because I'm too scared to warp up. <laughs> it's like, no, it's, it's fine. It's OK. Just take your time. You'll get there and it'll be all right. So if someone was just starting out with weaving, would you recommend a rigid heddle loom to get the feel for the process? Or The answer is always it depends. And the, the big question I always ask customers or anybody wanting to get into weave is, what is it you can see yourself making? Mm-hmm. And that is a big crucial thing. So if you can see yourself just doing some wall hangings or sort of little mug, mug rugs or you know, placemats, maybe a tapestry loom could be quite a f- good easy affordable way to get into it Um, or even the pin looms as well they're quite nice and easy to get going but if you're wanting to start weaving meterage of cloth then the rigid titles are really good way to get in to just understand the mechanics of how it works but I have also had customers who have just dove dove straight into eight shaft table looms to weave a double width project and you know they did it (laughs) so it it depends on what you're wanting to do what you can envisage yourself you know doing and it is always quite interesting how people have they've always got an idea of what the end product they want to do in their little dream world and that's great so I'm happy to help them get towards that. One of the local groups that I knit with is actually made up with a lot of people who are also part of the local weaving and spinning guild and Mm -hmm. you know I've asked them similarly like if I do want to get into weaving again you know I mean it's been over 20 years since I had that class but if I did want to get into weaving what would they recommend and their answer is basically like it doesn't matter because once you have one loom they the rest will just come to you over time is that the number of looms or just everything else (laughs) yeah all the all the looms you'll start with one and then you'll want the other kind and then you'll hear someone's offloading this one and you'll end up with that and yeah like oh okay okay (laughs) Yeah, I should start with a bigger house and (laughs) build a garden room, get a nice studio. That's how it works. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned um, West Kilbride, which I'm interested in hearing more about because um, I was looking on your website and you mentioned that it's called Craft Town, which sounds like my kind of place. It is. It's it's the reason we moved here. Um, We moved from Perth. so, which is a bit more over to the East Coast, um, when I was pregnant with my son um, mm. 17 years ago. And my husband was going to have a job in Glasgow, so we needed something easily commutable. And so Ayrshire was quite a good area for it. So we looked around a few places and then we came to West Bride and the sign was up, Craft Town Skull, and so, oh, what's this? And at the time, there was a few studios and a sort of central shop bit and then we saw that across from where I lived, there's a 12th century castle I looked directly onto. And then I can see from the window at the moment the ferry coming over from Nile Varen as well. And it's a beautiful place. It is really lovely, but a really great community. Um, there's lots and lots going on. So the craft town, that started out in 1996. And West Kilbride, the high street, was pretty much derelict. There was 60% of the shops that were there were empty and it's it's called the village it's called the town it's it's a small place of about four or five thousand people okay. um so it's just got a small high street but with you know range of about i think 30 odd shops on there uh so the community got together wanting to try and improve it and getting the shops taken over again and at the time the government had two schemes that were open that for places wanting to do that one was to become a book town one was to become craft town so west Kilbride applied to become the craft town 
and that's how we're now Craft Town Scotland. So we are the only craft town in Scotland that's allowed to have that designation. There's now Craft Town England in Farnham, which I've been involved to go down and see them. There's Craft Isle in Bornham in Denmark as well. So there's not many of them around the world. I think Oaxaca, possibly, that might be checked up. There's there's something, there's similar sort of things going on. But here, what it was, was to take back over the shop units and try and get them to become studios for makers to make in so they get subsidised rent and then over time there was a big project to get big national lottery funding to convert an old disused church into becoming what is now our exhibition centre and craft and cafe and there's also studios that you can rent it upstairs in there as well um, and it has transformed village there's there's a lot more shops now it's it's a lot busier than it was back in the past and I'd been involved since fairly early on from moving in of going and helping other makers out looking after the studios were on the holiday or just helping them do things so I knew what there was I knew how the sort of the organization organization vaguely worked and then I managed to get a studio of my own and then that helped get my business to grow um, but the studios are really for people who make so when we started selling equipment that became the main part of the business that was the point I decided actually, you know what, there's a shop unit, we really should move to there so somebody else can come in and use the studios to get going that way. Um, but I wasn't allowed to leave the craft town because he kept me on the board of directors for a couple of years. It's like, we still need you, come and do this. So now I'm not as involved, but I still sort of, if there's things going on, I still sort of help out and do what I can. But it's a really, I say that West Kilbride is such a community community there's um sort of, sort of joke about it there is a committee for the committees because there's so many different things going on <laughs> but it's you know everybody knows everybody else you know people say hello to you in the street and it is lovely and the exhibition center the barony center that's got new exhibitions on every month and there's a group of dedicated volunteers there there's a local craft group that meets in there on a monday uh, simply creator it's got some mixture of different crafters as well so it's yeah it's it's a really lovely place that sounds amazing do you find that it's brought organized tourism through like do you have tour groups that come or is it more weekenders and it's it's weekenders and day trippers and people that can see for me there was quite a lot of people who traveled big long distances to come to the shop because there's not many people in Scotland that do what I do I mean I'm sort of for weave dedicated weave shop I was pretty much the only one for quite a while. There's one or two others doing similar things now and also running the courses to get people coming from all over the UK and occasionally people from American holiday or elsewhere would come and do stuff too. So it's more that we're not designed for having big tour companies just cause us layout of a village. It's an old village. Yeah. So it's trying to find somewhere where we can park a bus is, is not the easiest. And then to get the throughput through, but I mean, you know, Craft Town Scotland would love to get more tourists through. And it's also just the weirdness of how Scottish tourism works, which I'm sure, you know, works with you as well. People go to the big cities and they go to all the big things that have been on, you know, in the movies and stuff. But the Ayrshire Coast used to be a local tourist hotspot, but that's gone over the years. But it's it's beautiful. There's amazing beaches. There's lots to go and see and do. So it's, it is still a really good place to come surf and visit. I did see that you have new premises now that you're functioning out of are you am, am I right that it's like it's your home you're you've added onto your your home to yeah. have space there yeah so um we've 
had shop premises for nine years now. So between having the Craft House Studio and then taking over the first one and two shop units in the village. And it got to last year, and it's actually Susan um, from Scottish, from Yarn Journalist. She'd met her a couple of times because she sort of talked to me about, you know, article and stuff in the, the journal. And last summer, just sort of went, well, you're talking about other patterns. Could I design something at some point? And she's like, okay. And so I thought I'd give it a go. And then I got contacted by a publisher in October who was looking for a gap in books. And I went, well, I know the gaps because I've got the books in my head that I want to write and get going. But because the business is big now, um, it's mainly online. Mm-hmm. And we sell right the way across the UK. We're now selling overseas again as well. And it's it's a bit of a beast. It is a full-time job to manage that and get that going. So the creative time for me hasn't been there to be able to get my brain going from it. So I thought, well, if I want to write a book, then... I kind of need a dedicated space for doing that. Mm-hmm. And my husband had stolen what was my old workroom in the house for working from home. So the house has always been one room short. So I thought, well, why don't we see about getting a garden room to put into the garden? So that got built in March and we closed down the shops at the end of January. And we've also converted the garage, which is now the Weft Cave. And at the moment is a disaster zone because it's just deliveries thrown in. And it's, um, yeah, only I can work in there. It's not safe for anything <laughs> else. Um, but it's amazing what you can cram into a five metre by three metre garage to get all, all of our stock is in there. All the yarn, everything's in there. It's all organised. I know where everything is. Nobody else will, but it's OK. It's all fine. Um, but yeah, so I'm working from home now. And the idea is to get books written I want to get a book written for rigid head of weaving focusing on using yarns from Britain and Europe and elsewhere because there's a lot of American books but we don't have the yarns over here that you guys have access to so it's making it more for that but also making sure it's yarns that everybody can get across the world too mm-hmm. and also looking at a pin loom book as well and then maybe some other things down the line and I've always wanted to get into doing some more video online content uh, better than the YouTube videos got up already. <laughs> um, and, you know, getting more, basically giving more back and getting more, you know, more of my experience out there to other people. Um, so that that was the reason for the big shift home. You mentioned Pinloom just in passing. Yeah. My heart skipped a beat because... Well, I have this, I have this joke with my daughter about um, how people on the internet are always obsessed with things. They're like, oh, I heard this thing and I'm obsessed with it. Um, I picked up a Zoom loom Mm -hmm. so I could do the pattern that you designed for the journal, issue three of the journal. And I am obsessed. Yes. (laughs) I've only, okay. So I've done one square. Here's my little square. Perfect. I think about this daily and like finishing the other project I'm working on. Cause I'm, I'm like with the make along, I want to just focus on one, get it done, move on to the next mm-hmm. every day. I'm like, I need to finish that project so I can get back to the zoom loom because this thing was so fun to do. It's a pin loom. They call it a zoom loom, but it's a pin loom. So mm-hmm. it just has all these pins in groups of three going up and down the sides. And I'm like, well, how, that's weird. Like, why would they organize it that way? And then I opened the directions and I followed the directions and they were incredibly clear. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised, really surprised at how, like whoever designed both the loom and the instructions and the labeling and everything, they 
chef's kiss. They did a great job of it. Chefs are very good at what they do. Yeah. And then I sat down and I did this square and I, when I popped it off at the end, I was like, oh, that was cool. You know, just like, I have to make more of these. And I will say also, I'm part of a, a fiber crafting group for alums of my college. Mm-hmm. And someone there just randomly was given a pin loom and she's posted about it about four times at this point. Piles. She's made piles of these. She's made a blanket worth of these four, eight, four inch squares uh-huh. that she's connecting up to do for like a grandnephew or something. These things are dangerous. These things are mm-hmm. dangerous. You get them in your hands and you're like, oh, in 40 minutes or so, I made this little thing and I want to warp it up again and get started. So I don't, Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, what have you done to me? That's what I'm asking, Ange. What have you done to me? <laughs> so it probably won't help when you say that I'm on the final bit of yarn at the moment of a blanket that I've been weaving for the past few months. Cause as you should know from knitting, when you've got a lot going on in life, you just need something really simple. Yeah. So I've been weaving, I think it must be about a kilogram's worth of all my odds and sods of iron weight yarn into hexagons to make into a blanket. I'm, I think I've got about over 300 done now and I'm on the last few. And it's going to be so great once that thing's all done. But it is, you just keep making them. And it was, it was this weekend because I hadn't, I'd been knitting for, I'd, I'd give, give myself two weeks to make a cardigan done and knitting and that's it for the rest of the year. But then went back to it and started weaving them again. So I actually couldn't remember weaving them. They just popped off and they just kept growing. So you're saying I can get this as a hexagon too? There's a couple of different companies that do them as well. So um yeah I'm in so much danger right now <laughs> <laughs> we always used to joke we should have a sign on the door for the shop it's like beware when you enter because we will get you into really really fun things <laughs> yeah oh my goodness yeah so I I really cannot wait to get back to this uh to this project so I will say I find it really really easy to do until maybe like the last two back and forths yeah that I had to do and at that point I, I would go maybe a third of the way across and pull the yarn through and do and do another third. And yeah. okay. So that's normal. I didn't do. Anything. No, no, that's, that's totally fine. I mean, cause the, the basic way to do it is just do it flat, but called plain weave, which is just, you could just going over and under and that's it. You can also do sort of more textural weaves by skipping things and stuff. So there's a whole other load of fun you can go into, but you, you don't have to pull the needle through in one go. Do it to whatever works for you, which is always my mantra of however you get it done to make it look like you want it at the end. That's fine. It's all right. Nobody's going to get you you for it. It it will work out okay. But pin looms, I find, are really good ones for getting knitters into weaving because they're excellent. Because as a knitter, you're always going to have lots of ends of balls from many, many projects. And the pin looms love them because you can just quickly use them all up and then suddenly you've got this whole array of fun squares to then make something out of well yeah well that's what I'm thinking I have I have so many I'm pointing you can't see where I'm pointing but I have a big glass jar that's about that big around full of odds and ends my mom had just an epic stash and same thing that your grandmother did when I started knitting I got just massive amounts of yarn from her that I've been working through for decades you know and and a lot of hers was were partial balls and so yeah I'm like oh gosh this is going to be 
and I have all kinds of stuff made with this. Um, so for, for like a zoom loom kind of thing. Now I have a Noro, Noro silk garden light solo that I'm using, which is sort of a fingering, fingering sporty kind of weight. What would be the limit on this? Do you think, could I do it with a worsted? Would that be too thick? Yeah. A worsted is um, similar to double knit. So actually they're, they're designed for worsted weight, sort of double knit weight yarns. Okay. You'd get the, there wouldn't be any gaps where you can see, I think yours has got a little bit of gaps. Yeah. I have itty bitty gaps. Yeah. Which is totally fine. That's okay. It's just a lighter weight and a drapier feel with it. You could you could even use sort of an iron iron weight. It'll be chunkier and denser. So basically, the thicker the yarn you go, the denser it will get. The finer the yarn you go, the lighter it will get and more gappy and holy as well. Mm-hmm. So we should probably talk about the design that you ask us to use this for. Yes. <laughs> In the- in the um, issue three is the magnolia cowl, which is constructed of, uh, you make rows of three in each color and then connect them up into a cowl. Yes. Two different sizes. Yeah. So what was your, what was your inspiration? What was your thinking for the magnolia cowl? Um, it's, I've got a magnolia tree that grows in our garden. It's not very big, but I want it to get to massive states one day. It was actually from in our previous house. The house across the road had a beautiful magnolia tree. Mm-hmm. And in the spring when that would flower, it just, I'd never seen anything like that before and absolutely fell in love with it. So it was using the colours from the one we've got here where it's it's got white flowers, but then it's the kind of thing go around to the pink colour. Mm-hmm. So you've got that transition between the white to the sort of mottled dish colour through to solid pink and just the vertical petals of it. I thought, well, that's actually quite a nice thing to just repeat around. So yeah, so after having done lots of weather stuff, <laughs> being influenced, there's going to be a lot of floral stuff because my husband has picked up the gardening bug in the past couple of years and our garden's awash with flowers now. Wow. So there's probably going to be quite a lot more flower themed designs because yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot of stuff. She was like, oh, that's quite nice. What I'm wanting to focus on sort of in design work as I'm going forward for the next couple of years is showing what you can make with these things. Because again, we've had a lot of customers going and going, so I've got a square, what do I do now? Yes. So a cowl is a really nice and simple thing to get started with, especially, you know, for, for the Zoom loom, because it is just sewing these columns together and then crocheting them around or sewing them together. Mm-hmm. So it's just trying to break down those barriers of what you can make with this thing. And then hopefully that can then get people to thinking more about what they can do. Because with Weave, it's a lot more, again, accessible for creating your own stuff. Because you can really freewheel quite happily with what you're creating. And you don't have to follow a pattern. You can just start sticking it together, or cutting it into different shapes and seeing how it goes. What are some other things that you've made with the Zoom Loom or the Pin Loom? Here's um, this is it's another company make uh, Hazel Rose Looms based in California. They make sort of bigger size looms. So this blanket oh, here. Wow. And that is made, uh, it's uh, West Yorkshire Spinners in the UK. They do um, sort of variegated yarns in their colour lab version. It's the Sandra Rhodes colourway. And it's brilliant for weave because as you're weaving away your squares, the colours change automatically because of the stripe in the yarns yeah. or the colour variation. So it all looks like that was really, really tricky to do, but it's not. You're just winding it around the loom and sewing away. So that's, that's a bigger piece, which is a kit you can buy on our website. And... I've done a cover for an ottoman, uh, which is in the house. 
I've done some scarves and some other basic things. So yeah, it's just playing back and saying, working on a stupidly big blanket at the moment for me. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, think of the square as cloth. It's one little you know cloth square. So you can then stitch that to make it into whatever you want it to be and right. to make it bigger or smaller and adapt the shapes with it. So again, it's, there's the Turtle Looms is the other pin loom uh, manufacturer that we sell as well. And they make the hexagon looms. Okay. And having that hexagon shape, then you can do quite a lot of different shaped things as you're going along as well. Just um, messing about and having a play, really. You bring up a good point, you know, woven woven fabric behaves differently than knit and crochet you know knit a knit fabric you're going to have a lot of stretch in some sort of direction whereas with the pin loom you are making cloth you are weaving cloth which sounds like a silly thing to say we're talking about weaving but you get something that behaves differently it behaves like a woven cloth it's not stretching one way or the other or you know so and it has a different kind of drape to it and yeah, but also the yarn behaves differently as well. So um, talk to hand spinners because, you know, you can, you can obviously knit with your hand, your hand spun wheel too. But in a weave, it's brilliant because with weave, the yarn likes to actually get its textures out there a lot more. Mm-hmm. And you might notice that even with the Nordo because that's quite a lovely textured yarn. And that has a bit more of space to just sort of be itself and go. You can also use all the mad yarns that you kind of think I'm not knitting with that because that's just going to drive me insane, like bouclés and stuff. Bouclés are beautiful in weave because you get all those little bumps coming out quite happily and it's really easy to work with. Um, so, yeah, it's it's looking at it differently. But even with your Zoom loom, there is a way that you can turn it. You can weave with it slightly differently. So you can weave on the bias oh. and then you can then get a bias-like effect like you did with cloth too. So so you can still get a bit of stretch in it if you want to. Oh, this thing is dangerous. <laughs> this thing is dangerous. Well, I am very much looking forward to getting, I only have a little bit left on my project that I'm currently working on. And then I'm going to be doing the Zoom Loom. I'm very excited about it. One thing also with the pattern design that you have, it's three squares of the same color stacked. But if people wanted to, they could play around with the placement of the squares too. And Totally. And again, it's quite a simple pattern that I'm fine for people to mess it about with. You could have multiple colours. You could have a lovely gradient going along it, mm. or you could have it as a solid colour with maybe one little stripe. You could change the yarn that's used for joining them together. That could then be a standout as well. All yeah. the different things do then completely change it around. So again, I'm happy for people to change it to how they want it to do. Well, that's the fun about getting to make your own things is you get to play around with it a little bit. Yes. Make it yeah. yours. Make it yours. Well, I am, I'm excited. I'm hopeful to see a lot of other <laughs> Magnolia cowls as the make along goes on and see what other people come up with. I'd love um, to see, is, I really want to see how people you know, interpret it and you know change it into their own because yeah. that is that is a big thing for me. Great if you go exactly with the pattern, brilliant, but freestyle it, you know, do play about with it and have a think about what you want to do with it. Well, I have to say, like, just the fact that the pattern was included in the Journal of Scottish Yarns got me, I wouldn't have thought to buy a pin loom otherwise, you know, but the fact that the Mm -hmm. pattern was included had me go, okay, yeah, I'm going to give this a try. And now that I've given it a try, and I apparently have a mild addiction forming. Um, 
you know, it makes me, it makes me think, well, do I want to, I, I picked three colors to do it in and, but I'm like, well, do I want to stick with stripes? Do I want to play around? You know, it's, it's gotten me already thinking of, of ways to experiment with it for both this project and future things. First of all, thank you for That's right. no, I have to... to create the design. And I have to say a big thank you to Susan as well for letting me do the design in the first place. Because it is, I mean, being both through knit worlds and weave worlds, they very rarely come together, but they are so intertwined and there should be more merging of the two of them together and, yeah. and having going. And I'm great that it's worked. My master plan has worked to get knitters into weaving. So <laughs> the more of that that happens, the better. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was one thing that struck me about the journal itself was that Susan was including things beyond knitting and crochet. Mm. You know, so we have the embroidery and some of the other issues and then the pin loom weaving. And it's just so great to see additional fiber crafts be grouped in with knitting and crochet and just to sort of help some of us broaden our horizons and also shine a spotlight on some of these fiber crafts that I think a lot of people don't don't think of as options for themselves for some reason. No. So other people do this. Uh-huh. They don't think like, oh, I could do, I could be doing this too. And I think it's 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 breaking down barriers. Yeah. And especially when it comes to sort of the other sort of the other opposite ends of the spectrum we get with customers that they've been knitting all their life or crocheting all their life, but their hands can't manage it anymore. So something like a Zoom loom works, my gran she's she's still going away and she's um she's not been able to knit or crochet anymore that woman has made so many squares and in the past year they're just piled up everywhere but she's stitching them into things but she can still do it because it's it's not a fine motor skill as such it's it's a fairly straightforward thing to do and she can just sit down and watch tv with it so and the portability of the pin looms is excellent you can take it away anywhere um a friend mia who you sell out in the shop. She takes it with her when she's watching her kids um, doing sports and stuff. So she's sitting in the car, weaving away a few squares here and there. Apollo, you know, her child throwing javelin down a track. So it's it's you know it's 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 a really good accessible way to get into weave. And then if you, if you want to stay in pin looms, great you can. But if you want to dabble into the other magical art of weaving, then there's lots of other fun things that are really accessible to get into as well. I do have a lot of people who like to craft as they travel. Do you think that a pin loom would be okay on an airplane or would, because that long needle is awful long? The needle, it depends on the airlines. Um, I know what some people do um, is if you get a Tupperware box, mm-hmm. then the pin loom can go in the Tupperware box and you can have the needle in that as well. So okay. if traveling about that way, watch with the needles because if they can easily poke through a fabric bag and can poke right. you in the hand if you're not if you're reaching into your bag for stuff I've done it many times oh no um but yeah I would check with the airlines because it's it's kind of the same as if you would have a double pointed needle you would think so, right so if they let knit needles on then you should be able to get those needles on as well yeah maybe I'll give it a maybe I'll give it a go and report back I have a couple flights coming up we'll see what happens <laughs> you can get replacement needles as well Shaq, do okay something. that's good to know <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll order one as I leave so it's here when I get back just in case 
Ange, it was delightful to meet you. Could you take a minute and maybe let us know what you have coming up, where people can, how people can find you or make contact with you? Basically, I'm working on the book. That is finally, I'm finally getting around to doing that after being saying this for about eight months. Um, so I am going to be working on some more rigid heddle weaving things. And I've got one or two pin loom things in my head. I'm just trying to figure out whether to do it as a book or booklets to be released out. Um, you can come and visit me at my studio now. You can book an appointment online because I'm at home. You do need to book the appointment to do that. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, we are always on 24 Well, I'm not physically on 24-7 with the website. The website is open 24-7. And we do now ship globally. Uh, so you can go on and you can... It's, it's set up for each different country and you'll be able to see shipping charges, what they would be at checkout too. So we can ship to the States, we can ship to Europe as well and the rest of the world. So, And if you've ever got any questions on how to get into weaving or spinning, just drop me an email. I'm always happy to help out. Thank you so much, Ange, for your pattern and for my new addiction. Not a problem at all. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. One of the great things about doing this make-along with the Journal of Scottish Yarns is that I am getting to interview all of these really interesting people. Ange was such a pleasure to meet. I know I said it in the interview, but I'll reiterate that I am so glad that Susan included her pin loom pattern in issue three because it got me to give it a try, and it really is a lot of fun. I found my pin loom on Amazon because I needed to get it quickly and had had a run of time in front of me when I just wasn't going to be able to drive to my local yarn store to see if they had one. However, a lot of yarn shops do stock them, including Weftblown. I'll have a link to Angie's site in the UK if you'd like to give one a try and want to order from her, but try reaching out to your local yarn shop too if you're not in the UK. Ange will be joining us for an Instagram Live the Wednesday after this episode goes live. Please join us by following the I Thought I Knew How account there. Be online on Wednesday, August 3rd at 2 p.m., that's Eastern Time, and watch for the little live notice to show up on my circle at the top of the Instagram window, and just click on it to watch. All of the Instagram Live events have a little prize we award to someone in the viewing audience too, so poke in if you can. If you can't make it at that time, find my page later on and you'll be able to watch the saved recording. The make-along continues to roll along. I should have my Mac hair tank top done by the time this airs, and I hope to maybe have the twine bag done too and be well into the magnolia cowl. You there in the future will be able to tell how I'm doing by popping into my social media accounts. As this airs, we will have another 10 days before we wrap up the event. Make sure you're watching for the posting prompts every week. There are still several more prizes to be awarded. A few more things before I go. First, I forgot to remind folks of the dinner I'm hosting at number 88 on September 27th in Lairwick at 6 p.m. It's very low-key. Just come in and meet some fellow listeners. Everyone will be responsible for their own bill at the end of the night. There are still three more spots left, and I assume everyone who's going to Shetland Wool Week who is interested in going has already spoken up. But if you haven't yet, please let me know. We are limited in the number of people who can be in the room. Second, I've been putting together these episodes so quickly that I don't have another event type thing to tell you about. So instead, for the second thing, I will share this. This summer, 
I needed to buy some hot weather appropriate clothing and I decided to take the plunge into the middle-aged lady wearing linen aesthetic. Lured in by an ad on Instagram, I went whole hog and ordered two dresses, a skirt, and a shirt from a company called Grey Cove. And I packed them along with me as we went to Normandy and I've been wearing them since I got home. And I am a convert. Honestly, we have gotten so far away from what makes for comfortable clothing. I am fully convinced that linen and thin layers of merino are the way to go for summer. No going back to jean shorts and cotton t-shirts and moisture-wicking athletic blends. I'm not going to chuck that stuff that I have in my wardrobe, but as they wear out, I'm replacing them with the good stuff. The linen clothing is another miracle fiber. It too airs out overnight and is fresh smelling by morning. Yes, it wrinkles, but that is part of the look. Choose loose styles and the wrinkles don't seem to get pressed so solidly into the cloth. Highly recommend. Again, I ordered from a company called Grey Cove. I'll put a link in. It's not even an affiliate link. They're not paying me to say this. I just found them very affordable and I liked the items I got. So there you go. Second thing is something I'm sure lots of you knew already that I'm just getting on board with. Next week, I'll have another interview for you, this time with Jess of Ginger Twist Studio, a lovely little, very little yarn shop in Edinburgh, as well as a line of hand-dyed yarns. See you next week. Until then, thank you for listening and knitting with me for a bit. The show notes are where you will find links to all the things mentioned in the show, so be sure to check those out. Find me on my social media accounts as I thought I knew how, except on Twitter where it's just thought I knew how. The groups on various platforms are all called I Thought I Knew How podcast. Until next time, may you be blessed with stitches that never drop, yarn without joins, and plenty of time to knit. <laughs>